This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being here. Today, I'm really excited to have you hear from Cindy Bultima. Cindy is the executive director of GEMS Girls Club, a fantastic ministry that you'll hear more about in a second. But I wanted you to hear from Cindy partially because her story is just so inspiring. And I'm thrilled that she's also going to be a faculty member for the 2022 Child Discipleship Forum from Awana, which will take place in Nashville in September. You can check out the show notes for more information about that, as well as GEMS. And Cindy starts this episode by sharing a bit of background information about her ministry and what that looks like day to day. Thank you for listening. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast. Well, GEMS stands for Girls Everywhere Meeting the Savior. And Ross, it is our name and it is our passion. Everything that we do is to help impact the life of a girl. So we do that. We serve girls from California to Canada, Kenya, and everywhere in between. And I love being a part of the GEMS team. About five years now that I've been able to serve. And boy, am I passionate about it. It, You really are. You know, you and I have had the privilege of getting a chance to speak for this and, uh, you are somebody who has just an amazing story. You and you have been, your faithfulness is so apparent. God's favor in your, in your life is so apparent, but the most particularly for the purposes of this conversation, the passion that you have uh, for reaching in your case, the next generation of girls um, clearly fuels everything you do. And I want to kind of dive right in there because um, as listeners of this podcast know, my daughter's five and three quarters. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, I feel like my ears are just starting to like tune in to the messages she's receiving that are different than the messages my son's receiving. Who's only two and a half. Right. And some of them are from my wife and I, some of them are entirely subconscious where I'll say something to my daughter and I'm like, Oh, I would have said that differently if that was my son. And that's a thing for me to deal with and address and talk to God about. Right. But we're, we're going to be able to share a little bit of your story as we go, but I'm curious to begin. What kind of messages would you say girls are receiving today? And how does that compare to the messages, messages you received as you were growing up? Mm-hmm. Well, it is not easy being a girl today. I mean, we could make a list of the problems and pitfalls that girls are faced with everything from a anxiety, B bullying, C cutting D depression, all the way down to Z zit. So nice. it is not right. It is, <laughs> it is not easy. And as you mentioned, Ross, the messages, it's hard. It's yeah. hard being a girl. I mean, you, one of the messages that the world shares is that your worth and your value is found in your popularity. So mm-hmm. why social media likes are so huge or your performance. So we find girls that are striving in a young age to be the best perfectionism that your worth and value is based on whether you are perfect or not. And then the physical appearance, I mean, the stats are the heartbreaking dove foundation says at the age of nine, a girl's self-esteem peaks or even a recent stat that 80% of girls age 10 and younger have already believed the lie that they are fat. So the messages oh, wow. that the world sharing Um, Do not set our girls up for success. That's why we're so passionate about helping girls know the truth because we believe lies can't stick to truth-filled girls. I love that. 
I want to highlight a couple things there before we move on, which is, you know, I think for some folks who listen to this podcast, um, there might be a reflex here to do one of two things, either, uh, in the name of treating everyone equally, uh, sort of downplaying it and minimize some of the specific issues that you're speaking to. And then on the other side, um, folks who my guess is, if I may say, this is the part of the podcast where I say, this is my opinion and I don't necessarily represent the viewpoints of a wanna here. But my guess is a lot of men who might be listening to this, who might be thinking like, okay, like I know it's, it seems harder, but is it really actually that hard? And as someone who swims in this situation, who's in this environment each and every day, I think it's important that we don't rank the experiences of girls and the experiences of guys in that binary of a fashion, of fashion. But I would implore the men who are listening to keep listening because this is the type of environment and worldviews that the women who are in your family, in your community are experiencing that you just don't have context to. And that's fine. You don't have to, but you have a role to play. And I'm excited that we're taking the time to dive into this conversation in order so that everybody can better understand this. Now, your story was a bit unique in that you had certain voices that were speaking into you about your identity. Um, can you share with us a little bit about uh, where you were at in the current kind of um, in that development? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I think it's important to know that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I didn't have God's word reminding me the truth or my value that comes from my identity in Christ. And instead, I was teased a lot at school. You know, I have red hair, I was chubby, shy, freckles, all the things that made me an easy target for bullies. Mm-hmm. And so when they would say things to me, it's almost like I almost started wearing these name tags that I was not wanted, that I was rejected that no one would ever choose me. And so I certainly know what it's like for the world's messages to shape our identity. Mm. And as then we know is our beliefs that kind of shape our behavior. So these lies led me to a lot of poor self-destructive choices. Yeah. And I, I, I'm so grateful for folks like you who are willing to share their, their stories, because I think one of the things I'm reminded that so many of like the, the biggest, hairiest issues that we're facing um, as a society, as a church in particular, a lot of the reason that those things fester is because we're not having a conversation about it. So if you hear nothing else from me, thank you for your leadership and your willingness to be vulnerable because I think it really counts in showing people that they're not alone, but also mm-hmm. that there is a path forward. Because your organization in particular, not you don't just serve girls, but you also serve moms. Mm-hmm. And as a person who has occupied, who has been neither of those things, I've never been a daughter or a mom. Uh, what kind of messages are moms receiving right now? And how does that compare to when your kids were growing up? <laughs> yeah, as I mentioned, it's not easy being a girl and it is not easy being a girl mom either. Mm-hmm. And I think that the messages that women are hearing very similar to the messages that they heard as a little girl, like still wondering, am I enough? Does anyone see me? Do I fit in? Does anyone care? And then you throw in a little pandemic and yeah. more than ever, not only do the do women have the messages of the world, but as they scroll through social media, they're told they're supposed to be able to do it all. You know what I mean? Like work outside the home, homeschool your kids at home, have your home look like just like it does 
on Pinterest and have, you know, food ready at five o'clock and talk everyone into bed in the bedtime story. So it's not easy. I think the world screams at women that they have to work harder and hustle. And I think, especially with social media, the scroll is taking a toll. And we know from moms, they can't give to their girls what they don't have themselves. So we are passionate. Our mission is girls, but we're also passionate about reaching the moms, the mentors, and the ministry leaders pouring into them so that they can pour into this generation of girls. Absolutely. And again, people can find out more about gems in the show notes. Um, I would highly encourage you to check, uh, check out this organization. I think y'all do fantastic work. And I think, you know, from a dad's perspective, you know, my wife and I have been foster parents, right. And one of the things that I'm so grateful for, for organizations like yours is I feel like it helps provide a place to start. If I'm having to help in this case, a child navigate an experience that is the entirely opposite experience that I had, it is critical that I have common language that I have, you know, there is no, uh, playbook for parenting, but you know, you guys are able to help, uh, dads like me dive into this work, um, just as much as you're able to help, uh, moms. But now for you, I know that for your story, um, you becoming a mom was, not necessarily, uh, we'll just say the smoothest road to get there. Can you share folks Mm -hmm. what that looked like for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. As I mentioned, I didn't become a Christian as a young girl. I didn't become a Christian actually until the age of 26. I became a mom at the age of 24, a single mom. And so here I was this woman trying to figure out if I had purpose and, you know, did anybody see me? And then I was a mom and I had this big emptiness in my, in my heart. Sometimes people say it's like that God sized hole. And what I learned very quickly is that kids don't feel the emptiness and the brokenness of, of a worn out woman's heart. And I love being a mom, but I realized that that, that wasn't going to fill this emptiness or this loneliness. I needed mm. something else. Yeah. It, and again, I think, I think there's sort of this, uh, temptation, particularly around the conversation of being a dad where it's sort of this, like, uh, well, you know, you had a kid, so now you'll never sleep again. Right. And I always want to have, the opposite conversation talking about how being a dad is the greatest gift God has ever given me and how much joy it brings. And it's the best and hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but even though that is true, what is also true is what you just said, that it doesn't fill the brokenness or the wounds from your heart. And there's so many folks who your own story with your own parents sounds like that. And I just, um, you know, because of the church and because of organizations like y'all, we, you're, that story can stop with you. You don't have to have that story passed on to your kids any more so than it already is. Now, um, I'm curious for you, you know, your, nobody, uh, nobody's life has quite a fork in the road moment, but there was a moment for you after your first was born where your life started to take a bit of a different path. Can you tell folks about that story? Mm-hmm. I hit what I kind of call my rock bottom um, at the age of 26. And just to give you a quick snapshot of my life, as I mentioned, I was a single mom. At this time, my son was two. I had a drug and alcohol problem, and it was pretty severe. My drug of choice at that time was cocaine. And I'm sad to share that I used cocaine every single day, just like brushing my teeth. And I didn't know how to stop. So even though I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I I had values and I knew that probably using cocaine every day as a mom wasn't the best choice. And um, unfortunately, it took 
hitting this bottom though, to really bring everything to light. And I accidentally overdosed one case one day was at the med center, the hospital police were involved. And, um, although no charges were filed against me that day, Ross, like I kind of made a charge to myself mm. and I, I needed to do whatever I could to figure my life out. And so I ended up sitting on my bed one day, like trying to be like, you know, think, Cindy, think like, what do you want to do? Or who do you want to be like? Like I kind of had to start over. So that was kind of like that fork in the road. Like, Cindy, what, what are you going to do? And even though my son didn't feel the emptiness, the brokenness of my heart, I knew that I had to figure this out for his sake. Cause mm-hmm. at that time I still was wearing these labels. I didn't know that I had worth and value, but I knew he did. And I knew he deserved a mom that got her life together. Mm-hmm. So that's what led to a phone call where I called a woman and asked her for help. And that woman changed everything for me. Now, how did you know this woman beforehand? You know, it's, it's kind of crazy story. She would come into the restaurant where I worked and there was something different about her. And so that day on my bed, when I was thinking, okay, Cindy, what are you going to do? I thought, um, you know, I don't know. Okay. So who do you want to be like? And I thought of this woman and she had a joy and a kindness. And there was just something, you know, people would fight about who would get to serve her when she would come into the restaurant. (laughs) And so I thought, yeah, this woman, Carol, like, I want to be like her. And so I, I called her, like picked up the phone when they used to be connected to walls and sure. I called her and just told her briefly about the mess that I was in and said, Carol, I need help. Mm. And I'm so thankful Ross that she didn't tell me about a program or she didn't give me a 1-800 number, but instead she said four words that changed everything for me when she said, Cindy, you need Jesus. And I'm sad to say that at age 26, living in West Michigan, where there are churches all around, I didn't even know what that meant mm. and thought, um, well, what do I have to lose? I, I guess I'll give this Jesus a try. And um, that that was the best decision ever. If that was a fork in the road moment, that was the day that I also made the best decision ever. That, as you mentioned, didn't just change my life, but now my whole family line. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. The church has a child discipleship crisis. Join us in Nashville or online at the Child Discipleship Forum on September 22nd and 23rd, presented by Awana. At the Child Discipleship Forum, you'll hear from leading voices on culture, children, and local church ministry. Like-minded speakers include John Mark Comer, Rebecca McLaughlin, Andy Crouch, and many, many more. At the forum, you'll gain strategies and resources from the Barna Group's largest children's ministry research project in over two decades, and will leave prepared to disciple kids in this changing culture. Be sure to secure your seat now at childdiscipleshipforum.com to take advantage of discounted pricing. We're praying for you as you invest in child discipleship and the future of the church. You know, each and every week we talk about uh, being a loving, caring adult. That's the language we use uh, in the life of a child. And not that, you know, we don't necessarily spend a lot of time talking about adults, but you and I have in common that we both uh, became followers of Jesus as an, as adults. Um, my guy, my guy's name was Gavin. It wasn't Carol. Um, but that 
person who probably sounds, looks, and acts a lot like the people who are listening to us talk right now has the potential to, as you just said, change your entire family line just by following Jesus. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering, is the thing that I'm doing with my five-year-old, the five-year-old in my class enough, is the thing that I'm doing to try to reach out to that teen who's in my community who only comes to church every so often? The answer is yes. God can use those little bits of joy in the context of a restaurant uh, to quite literally change and save people's lives. Yeah. Amen. 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 Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 So, um, one of the things that I think is unique about your organization, Gems, is that you wind up doing a lot of what you just described that Carol did for you. You wind up very intentionally making who Jesus is real to the girls you serve. When you were going through that process, now obviously you were 26 and a much more particular set of circumstances, but can you walk people through what that process was like for you and in those sort of early days of being a believer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Carol and her family, they were really like Jesus to me. And they did the simple things that you would do maybe with a five-year-old girl, right? Like they bought me my very first Bible. Mm-hmm. They took me to church. They introduced me to a small group. Mm-hmm. Carol connected me with a mentor who I met with every single day for two full years. They got me into Christian counseling. They had tough love conversations. I'll never forget when her husband looked at me and said, do you have a will from what I've heard? If you use again, you're going to die. I mean, they, um, they loved me, but with grace and truth. And Ross, I'll never forget one night, like reading the Bible, like with my little guy's flashlight, I would tuck him into bed and just pouring through the scripture. And I kept thinking, how come no one ever told me, like, how come nobody ever loved me enough to tell me how amazing the Bible was and how much God loved me, even a messed up woman like me. And so it's funny, those little things that we can sometimes prayer pray that we don't even know. It's not like something that we necessarily write in a book or pray in community. I just remember one night praying like, God, may it not be set on my watch. No one ever told me. And um, God's really taken me up on that simple <laughs> little prayer. <laughs> I can only imagine. Uh, I love, and I love too the fact that it wasn't about uh, Carol and her husband um, teaching you a program, right? Or doing those things that I think so often we, particularly in the context of child discipleship, we lean on those things. We lean on these things that were only meant to be tools as if they're going to accomplish all of the work. And the reality is just by being there, you're actually doing far more work than the program ever could. Um, now, hmm. when I think about your story, obviously, and we've only told parts of it, kids, if you, if you ever get the chance, folks who are listening to uh, hear Cindy speak, or um, dive more into her story, I highly encourage it uh, because it'll make you, it'll just fill you with faith. You just have one of those stories. So thank you for your ministry. Um, so obviously when I look at your story, I see resilience. I see the, you have a, had a consistent ability to, uh, after you've been knocked down to get back up, to use the simplest definition of resilience possible. But I also see a lot of opportunities where you could be carrying, let's just say shame. And I 
don't necessarily know how much of that was a thing for you, but I know that when I look at my own story or when I look at, at the way I carry shame is different than the way my wife carries shame or the other women in my life carry shame. So now that you are in this position where you are the leader of a ministry that is reaching girls with the gospel, how do you connect your story to them? How do you connect what you've been through with what they're going through right now? Um, so much I could say. First of all, I, I do wrestle with shame. It is never easy to tell my story. However, I believe with my whole heart that the beautiful message of Jesus is shame off of you and never shame on you. So when those lies come back and they do, I have to fill my mind with truth and even remind myself, you know, Cindy, it may be true, but this is a capital T truth. Like it may be true that this is really hard, but the truth is that we have a God who is hope in the hard times, or it may be true that you feel overwhelmed, but the truth is that God is your strength and your security. So even at the age of 50 plus, I'm still renewing my mind with truth. And I think, yeah, I don't think we ever outgrow that till my last breath. I pray that God's word is on my lips and I'm still declaring that he is who he says that he is and he will do what he says he will do. So it kind of takes the pressure off of me and puts Mm. it all on him. I'm just his vessel. I'm just his tool. And he's the one that chooses to do the work. And And it changes those labels, right? For sure. For sure. Only God can do that, right? He can rip off the old labels and then re-wallpaper our mind with Mm. truth. The, the truth again of who God says that we are because the messages aren't just for girls or for moms they're for, for ministry leaders and for all of us. Yeah. And, you know, we can have those days where we're like feeling all sanctified and filled up. And then we go to the grocery store and there's like the top 10 ways to have this amazing, you know, like, Oh, I forgot the turkey again. Like it's just <laughs> a, a daily reminder. Yeah. Right. And I mentioned A to Z. We could do the same thing for girls and boys, women mm-hmm. and men of who we are accepted, beautiful, chosen enough forgiven and so for a girl like me with a past like mine that label of forgiven means everything to me yeah and i would imagine that there is a um we see this all the time in even the context of a small group within awana where the ability for you to be vulnerable the ability for you to be open not only resonates deeply is inspiring etc but it clearly communicates to the child that you're talking to that you are someone that they can be open to in return. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the, uh, we've used the language around here, the hyper individualism that is defining the world today, our kids need that now more than they've ever needed it before. Um, go ahead. No, please. Yeah. Yeah. I think our past and our pain can be the bridge that connects us Mm. to a, to a woman or even to a young child. And so, you know, even with my, my daughters that are now teenagers, the struggles that I have been through, I don't know what it's like to be growing up in this generation today. I don't know what it's like to be left out and then to have everyone on Snapchat or Instagram or Visco talking about it but I do know what it's like to feel all alone, or I do know what it's like to be teased and bullied. So I think that those are opportunities to enter in and to sit alongside someone shoulder to shoulder, knee to knee, sometimes zoom to zoom and just listen. Because what I've learned about this generation, and and you know this too, you talk about this on the podcast, they're just listening. They're looking for someone that will lean in and listen Mm -hmm. 
rather than always tell them how it's done. So hopefully my past and my poor choices can be that just to create that safe environment. I don't have it all figured out, but we know the one who does and he's good and he's faithful and he's true. Amen to that. I'm curious, how do you, I think it's a, frankly remarkable. I think if I had a story that was similar to yours, it would be extremely challenging for me not to be prideful to look mm-hmm. at what my kids are going through as teenagers and be like, you don't really know. Right. Like, and I think we as adults do that with whatever kids are experiencing, right. There's this sort of this posture of it was harder when I was a kid or, um, the life you experience digitally isn't real. Those, th- that type of thinking I think is pretty pervasive in older generations. So how do you remind yourself about what you just articulated? How do you mm-hmm. put those labels back on of like opening curious with your own kids? Because mm-hmm. I would imagine that it would be incredibly challenging. It's challenging for all of us, but especially when you've been through the experiences that you've been through. Mm-hmm. I am reminded every day of the pitch pit from which I've come. Mm. And so I, for 26 years, I lived apart from Christ. So I have a lot of struggles. I don't know that pride is one of them as much. I think the harder challenge for me is to believe that still today, you know, all these years later to believe the truth of what God says about me, because for so many years, I believed the lie. And so I, I, um, as I listen to my kids, it's different. It's apples and oranges, what I went through, but we know we have the same God and and the same enemy who has come to steal, kill and destroy, but the same God who has come to raise up a generation of women and men and boys and girls that can be his hands and feet in the midst of this lost and hurting world. Amen to that. Um, there's one part of your story that has bounced around in my head ever since we started. And I'm thinking about what we talked about in the beginning, which is, you know, I sincerely hope that if you've lived a story that is more akin to my experience, that you have checked out gems at this point. Um, Even if that means you've had to pause the podcast, it's okay. Uh, But for the men that are still listening, you had a, a particular part of your story is the relationship you have with your dad. And would you just mind sharing with us for those who are still with us? Because I think it really speaks to the heart of the father. Mm, Sure. Well, I mentioned that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My dad was atheist, agnostic, just wanted no relationship with God or Jesus at all. Um, We were distant. I don't think he meant to be distant. I think he just kind of was raised me how he was raised and just didn't spend a lot of time with me as a little girl. So I didn't get the love and affirmation that a little girl looks to from her earthly dad. I think a snapshot of that would be in the midst of the drug um, overdose that I mentioned. My dad, when he heard of me being at the med center and then the hospital, you know, my mom rushed right over and, and my dad didn't. In fact, he decided to go play golf and I don't want to judge him. I mean, I think we all have those moments in life that we wish we could have redo. And I'm guessing that this is one of my dad's moments. And um, as my dad watched me then come to be a, a new creation and to go to church and all of these things, he, and he saw this family love me. Over the first two years, he didn't really make any changes. We still were kind of distant and we tr- he tried to make amends. But then again, this is where my story would get really long. So I'll just, it's, it's, there's a lot of pain involved, but my fiance, I was engaged to be married to a Christian man and my fiance was killed about two years after I had become a Christian. 
hard, hard situation, another topic for another day. But Mm -hmm. in the midst of that pain, as I sat with my pastor and asked questions like, why would God allow this? My, My dad was watching. He was watching this church community love me through such an excruciating raw time. And Ross says, we planned for my fiance's funeral. I said to my pastor, none of these things matter, songs, flowers, like we have to share Jesus, Mm. what my fiance David would have wanted. And my dad, again, who had been an agnostic atheist all of this time, my dad at David's funeral raised his hand high and said he wanted Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of his life. Ross, you should know that my fiance had been the type of man who used to say he would give his life for one person to know Christ. Mm. And little did he know that it would be my dad. Mm. And my dad, if you were to meet him today, he he lives down the road from where we are. He's at (laughs) my son's hockey games all the time. Mm -hmm. my, My dad is a new creation. And it just shows me that our God is a God of miracles. I know because my dad is one of them, and so and so am I. And you know, there's no one too far gone from God's amazing grace. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, You are investing in lasting faith, young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash lasting faith today. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.